It's show 104 of the Rim Pro Report uh, this week. Stephen Hirschman of the Shred Stop and the Industry News. Uh, this show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. I want to let you know that they've launched their brand new website this week, and I have to say it's pretty impressive. I'm looking at it now, and I see really simple way to access the different software options that O'Neill has, the hardware, and more importantly, the support. But what has also made O'Neill's, the O'Neill site so cool in the past is the community that hovers around that site. And that moves into the new site as well. Bottom line, if you're an O'Neill partner, a customer, a user, or even a prospect, it's worth checking out. And you can do so at O'Neillsoft.com. Well, it seems pretty official. August is done. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me. Welcome to this week of the show. Well, it's the week for new websites. And uh, we in no way meant to upstage our sponsors. We let them go first. We didn't really know what was happening. But uh, we, too, have just updated the RimPro Report website. We've been testing a lot of new capabilities in website development here. And this new site is designed to be what's called responsive, which means it adjusts to whatever screen you're looking at it from. So if you're on a mobile phone, it should shrink to fit your mobile phone. And if you're on a standard web browser, it expands to fit that. It's very cool stuff. I don't understand how it all works. It's all very voodoo-y to me, but it's pretty cool nonetheless. But uh, hey, O'Neill's site looking pretty amazing. And uh, as in every show we have today, I'm excited to share the interesting things going on in the RIM world. And uh, I, I love discovering cool things that are going on. Last week on the news, I mentioned a company named ShredStop. To be honest, until last week when I talked about them on the news... I hadn't even heard about them. Well, after the show, I got on the old interwebs and sought them out. Then, with a cool little tool called email, I sent them an electronic query. As luck would have it, they received my electronic note and replied back. So, I asked them to consider being on the show this week. And, well, the rest is history. I'm pretty happy to report we're going to be speaking to the president and founder of The Shred Stop, Stephen Hirschman. The Shred Stop makes kiosk-style shred machines that sit in the grocery stores. This, this whole thing intrigues me. And I, I know that uh, there's been some of this stuff happening, but... Uh, these guys are doing something pretty cool, it looks like, and I thought I'd like to figure it out. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about it from Stephen, and I expect you might as well. But before we get there, let's get you caught up on the latest industry news. Big Dog Shred Bins is opening a warehouse in Barrie, Ontario, Canada to support its growth. While the actual manufacturing plant will stay in Southern California, the Canadian location adds additional warehouse and distribution capabilities. 
Our good friends at Nade have approved a $2.8 million budget, the most aggressive budget in the association's history. Nade is focusing a lot of attention on marketing going forward, designed to make a much larger impression on a bigger audience and really drive people to realize the critical importance of using a Nade member for their shredding and destruction services. Currently, Nade has over 1,900 member locations globally. So congratulations to the board and leadership of Nade. Iron Mountain just published a new report called A Proposed Law Firm Information Governance Framework Developed by Information Management Professionals from 20 Top Law Firms. The comprehensive report is the product of a three-day working symposium convened in May to frame out best practices for information governance within law firms. I just downloaded the 52-page report yesterday and saw some pretty valuable stuff in there, especially helpful if you work with law firm clients. Finally, this is not specifically industry news, but it definitely impacts the industry. As you know, in my company, Flourish Press, we do a lot of work in web marketing support. Over the past six months, we've experienced what to me has been the most volatile period of search-related issues I've seen in the 10 years I've actively worked in web marketing, specifically within this industry. The fact is, what you think and assume about SEO, search engine optimization, is no longer viable. I'm telling you that because Google last week announced that it's going to get even more intense. Matt Cutts, who's the spokesperson for search at Google, suggested last week that many people are not going to want the next round of updates that Google's going to impose. What's strange to me about this announcement is that Google doesn't announce changes like this in advance. The point is, organic search is about to get crazy. For the first time ever, Google's telling us that in advance. So be prepared for a bumpy ride. Well, that's it for the news. No acquisitions I can see this week. If anything is happening in your neck of the woods, keep me posted. I'd love to hear from you. Alrighty, I'm going to get Stephen Hirschman on the line from ShredStop. Hang on for a moment while I do. Stephen Hirschman is the president of the ShredStop, which places self-service secure destruction kiosks into retail stores. And I'm incredibly excited to learn more about what ShredStop is all about and what they're doing. Stephen, are you on the line? I am. Hey, hey, good, hey, good to talk to you. Yeah, welcome to the RimPro Report. It's it's great to have you here. So what is the ShredStop? Yeah, the ShredStop is a self-serve kiosk, kind of like a Coinstar, inside grocery stores. And customers can bring in a, a box of material or however much they want. And you can shred 50 sheets of paper at a time there. A uh, full file box takes about five minutes to go through. And uh, costs a couple of dollars a minute, so it's a it's a really convenient solution for customers that have either been fed up with their home shredder or you know have too much material to put through in in, in a given amount of time. So you say it's like a Coinstar machine. So you know the size of a soda machine, the Coinstar, those those green ones in grocery stores that you see now. Tell me a little bit more about this machine. It's obviously got a shredding thing in it, but I mean to put it in the in a store and make it completely self-reliant, you got to have some pretty significant technology in there. Yeah, uh, putting it putting a shredder inside of a grocery store posed several challenges. I mean, the first one is anybody who's most of your listeners are familiar with industrial shredding equipment. You know, it's very large and it's very loud. Yeah. Um, those are two things that really don't go well inside of a grocery store. They don't want it to be either. So the first, the first thing we had to tackle was making it small. 
So uh, we took, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a true industrial-powered machine. It's got a five-horsepower motor running on it. And we had to take a kind of an off-the-shelf unit and really customize it down to be the size of, like you said, a vending machine. Right. And uh, making it silent, putting it, putting it inside an enclosure gives a lot of, a lot of ability. We, we actually line the inside with egg crate foam to, to suck up the sound from the shredding. Wow. And uh, the, other, the other thing, the problem we had with the size was, you know, as anybody who's ever shredded anything knows, it balloons to about 10 times the volume once you actually shred the material. Right. So we, we've actually got a compactor built into the kiosk so that we can gather enough material, make enough revenue before we have to go get it to make it worth sending out a service personnel to, to collect the full bin. Yeah, because, I mean, the advantage on a shred truck is that, you know, you fill this huge space through the the shredder, but in your case, you have no expansion room. You have no drop-off room. When that thing's full, it's full. Yeah, and, and figuring out what the right mechanism to alert personnel when they need to go get it, uh, make sure that it's still in service. You know, a kiosk that's sitting there full, out of service, is about the most useless thing in the world. Uh, it's actually negatively effective. People come with their material, and, and if they can't use the kiosk, it, it gets frustrating. Yeah. So the, the kiosk itself is, is connected with a cellular connection. So when it senses that it's about half full, we send out an alert message to have it emptied, and it takes a it takes a few hours to get somebody out there to empty it. But we, we try to keep up the, keep the kiosk up 100% of the time that way. Wow! So when it hits half full, you're you're already in motion to make sure that thing's being emptied. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you really just can't wait until it's full, or else you have a lot of uh, a lot of upset customers. Well, and I and I'm sure the the grocery store that's allowing you the the right or whatever kind of agreement you have with them to place this in their location wouldn't be all that impressed if that were transpiring. Yeah, you know, the grocery stores, when they put it in, they want two things. They want revenue off of their floor space. Grocery store industry, I don't know how much you know about it, but they, they, they operate on pretty razor-thin margins. Yeah. So they want the dollars off the square footage, and then they just don't want to hassle. Right. The second point might be more important than the first one. Really? Uh, they don't want to deal with things that are going to have problems. They, they want it to operate. One of the first questions we get from the grocery stores when we go to sell them the idea is, how much are our customer service personnel going to have to touch it? Right. And they want the answer to be zero. zero. And that's what we say to them. We, you know, it's, if there's a problem with the machine, we log in remotely and fix it. We don't want the customer service people in the grocery store touching it at all. Right. So let's set the stage for this whole story by heading back to 2003. And I did a little bit of digging, and I discovered that you're on a submarine of the USS Kentucky, and something happens to you back in 2003. I guess while you're on the submarine, tell me a little bit more about the story of evolution here. Yeah. Um, my, my wife got a call one day from... Sprint Cellular. We had our cellular contact through them at the time. And the customer service representative said, we're, we're calling to make sure that the service that your husband got yesterday when he opened up seven new cell phone accounts was good. We want to make sure he had a good experience. My wife said, I seriously doubt he did that, considering he's somewhere underwater in the Pacific Ocean right now. Ah. So I get a message from the submarine. I was a communications officer on the submarine at the time, and I get a message Captain calls me into the into his wardroom, tells me your identity's been stolen. Now, 
for most people, your identity being stolen is a hassle and painful to deal with and can mess with your credit. But in my case, I had above top secret clearance. I was reading every message that the Department of Defense was sending out on a daily basis. So you can imagine they were a little concerned when somebody out there was trying to use my identity. Ouch. Yeah, so I actually had to get off the submarine. They, they dropped me off in Pearl Harbor, and I flew back to Seattle to deal with it. It's kind of a messy process when you're dealing with identity theft because my, my wife had a power of attorney, thought she would be able to deal with it, but none of the law enforcement was willing to talk to her. So I had to come back off of patrol, which is not something the Navy wants for, you know, when you're on a ballistic missile submarine and you have to offload your communications officer, it's not really a good situation. <laughs> so I came back to dealing with that. And it, the identity theft problem, it, law enforcement really has a hard time dealing with it. The, the, the people who had stolen my identity were in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was up in Seattle. And dealing with the Seattle to Jacksonville, Florida Police Department was extremely painful. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, given a couple of months, I, I, I got it taken care of, and I, I had the natural reaction that anybody has. I started shredding anything with my name on it before I discarded it. Right. And in the, the next four years, I went through four or five home shredders, just burned them out. In uh, the final straw, I, I had about four boxes of stuff I needed to get rid of, and I grabbed my home shredder and I put it up on my on my desk in my home office and, and taped down the little safety switch inside. And I thought I'm just going to shred until <laughs> until until I hit the bottom of these boxes, no matter how long it takes. And 20, 20 minutes into that, I had burned out the home shredder. I'd made absolutely no progress, basically. And I thought, I, okay, I I can't be the only one that has this problem. So I started looking for some sort of solution that made sense. I really hated the idea of going to Staples or Office Max and, and dropping off my paper without it being shred. I really wanted to see it destroyed. And, you know, the, dealing with getting a mobile shredding truck to my house was a little painful. So I thought, okay, well, let me, I'm an engineer. Let me see if I can figure out a solution to this that makes sense. And I had always been impressed by Coinstar and Redbox and, and the, yeah. the service and the convenience of it. And I thought, well, what a, what a great implementation, uh, what a great way to implement a, a shredding service. You don't have any personnel cost. You know, you just have the cost of the machine. And if it's designed right, it's, it's like you said, it's self-reliant. So, so, so how do you go from that idea, that idea that floats in many of us, we run into a problem and we go, there's got to be a better way. And yet, how do you move from that to actually creating prototypes and starting to do all the work that you've done, I expect you're still a submarine guy at this point, aren't you? No, uh, I'm, I got out of the Navy in 2005. Oh, okay. And so I'm working on, you know, the shred stops my, my job nowadays. And But, but yeah, back in 2007, when this is all sort of transpiring, it, you what makes you go, okay, I'm going to jump into this. I'm going to develop this thing. What pushes you over the edge? Well, I think part of it is you have to have it inside of you to, to say, I've got a solution and I'm going to get it done. My father was an entrepreneur. He, I don't think he could have been tied down to one job for more than a few years at a time if you tried. Right. right. Uh, so you, you kind of have to have it in your blood. And then, you know, having some sort of knowledge about the mechan you know, whatever you're trying to develop you know, is, is a huge help. I, I was a nuclear officer in the Navy and I have an engineering degree from the Naval Academy. So when, when I sat down and said, okay, well, I'm going to start sketching, uh, it's not just sketching wild ideas. You've got concrete ways to, to solve it. And really the first thing that we looked at was we were going to make 
you know, something akin to an old photo mat. You remember those old buildings that used to be in the parking lot of grocery stores? Yeah, yeah. To drop off your pictures? Right. To get your pictures developed? Well, we thought, well, that would be a good way to do it because you'd have so much space for the, for the waste paper and you could use off-the-shelf components. Well, we ran into all kinds of problems with doing that. But along the way, some people said, well, when you have a solution that you can put inside, give us a call back. Huh. So we pivoted in a week and said, we really need to go out there and find, get custom-built material, get into the grocery store where it would be more secure and where people are happier with it. And really, when you get into an industry like this, where I have no background in document destruction, I have no background in the building of self-serve machines, Right. I spent the first month just finding the right terms to use. <laughs> right. You know, right. I, I didn't know what a kiosk was necessarily okay before then i didn't know i didn't even know how to describe what i wanted to people i, I want so, a rotary grind shredder to fit in into this thing that so that's all terms you had to learn very quickly yeah exactly so i spent right. a lot of time looking at shredders you know just figuring out what makes this thing tick what are the most essential components of this and what are the things that can be gotten rid of to, to squeeze it into this little space and we heard a lot i, I talked to several of probably all of the major industrial shredder builders in the country. And, and I heard a lot, well, I don't know how to do that, and nobody's ever asked us that before. Right. So I said, well, that's why I'm asking. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we, we found some really great partners to go through prototyping, and, you know, we're still, we're still prototyping small parts of it. We have the major parts all wrapped up, but there, there's always little tweaks to be made. Yeah. You've no doubt, you've just said, you're, you're constantly prototyping, but you had thought about this sort of kiosk like the old photo booths out in the, out in the um, parking lots, and you eventually got to the Coinstar model. You're now into, at least from what I read on your website, a solid, stable platform, realizing you're still uh, moving forward. But how do you get this thing out there? You, you talked earlier about these companies, retailers want, revenue for that square footage this thing's sitting on so you're just picking up and cold calling your way through grocery stores is that how this works uh well we tried that approach it doesn't work very well at all right. um you know <laughs> the grocery industry is we had to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who we were calling yeah you know these guys get calls all day long every single day of somebody that wants to sell something out of their store and especially, what was interesting is when we first came up with the idea of getting it inside, uh, we went to a regional grocery store chain in the Northwest called Hagen Foods, and I basically called up to their corporate offices until I got somebody named with the last name of Hagen on the <laughs> phone. And I said, uh, hey, well, can we come up and show you something cool that we think would, would be good in your store? And he said, yeah, sure, come on up. And, and we went up there. We, had, we hadn't built anything. We had three pieces of paper with a, with a little, you know, a 3D drawing of what we thought it was going to look like and, and some preliminary numbers and, and a thought. And we laid it out in front of him in about 20 minutes and said, hey, what do you think? And he said, yeah, sure, why not? Let's try it. Wow. It really, but, you know, it was, it was a blessing. And then it was also a major problem because we thought, oh, great, we're, this will be easy. You know, <laughs> have something that they want and we'll just go into every grocery store. But it, it really didn't turn out to be that way. It's kind of like having yes. your first child who's really good. Exactly. It makes you want to have your second child. Right. And then you discover the second child is infinitely harder than the first one. <laughs> yeah. So we, we tried the same approach with, with many different regional and national grocery stores with, with 
the only non-varying success is that there was no success. Right. And what we figured out was in the in the intervening years from when we went to Hagen to when till today the the change in the economy really changed the way people sold into grocery stores. Hmm. The the people let's say you have some seafood product that you want to put in the grocery store. Well, right. What people do now is they hire an outside agency that calls one day and says, hey, we've got a great seafood product we want to tell you about. And the grocery seller says no. And the next day they call up and say, hey, we've got a great cod opportunity that we want to talk to you about. And they call back every single day to try to get a meeting. So how do you break out of that noise to find, to actually get into a room with somebody and show them this, what we thought was a very cool idea? Yeah. Uh, it turned out you, you really needed to make the right friends to come and introduce you and vouch for you. Wow. And we were at the NAID conference uh, in 2011 and met some people there that were very gracious to introduce us to Safeway. Hmm. And uh, kind of the rest is history. Since then, we've hired a sales force and we've got interest from all of the major national grocery store chains. Wow. Very cool. So this has been a bootstrapping adventure for you? It, yeah, mostly you know, friends and family uh, to this point. But we're we're at the point where we're going to start raising uh, major venture capital to to build. As, as you can imagine, the uh, the capital cost of building out these machines is not small. Oh, I, I I can only imagine. And based on what I perceived of your story, that you've got a significant amount of time, money investment in just developing prototypes because product business is very different from service business product business you've you got to make these machines and then you if you're going to put them in a hundred stores you have to build a hundred of them and yeah i mean this is a this is a major venture that you're in yeah exactly and if you would ask me a year ago what our major hurdle was i would have said getting into the grocery stores today our major hurdle is how do we just keep up with demand how do we bring in the capital to build enough machines to get out into the grocery stores that we need to get out into and get in front of the customers. But we're solving that as well. So we expect to be rolling out to at least a dozen markets within, within the next six months. Wow. Very exciting. I mean, I, I, I think this is such an interesting play. You know, we talked a lot on this show about people in the shredding business and the destruction business, but you're doing it in such a unique way that uh, I, I couldn't wait to to talk to you about it. So the future plans are just keep rolling this out, um, you know, build a, a bigger, this is not something you're franchising at a local level. No, yeah, we look, we actually looked at franchising. Um, the, the problem was grocery stores just don't want to deal with that many owners. And most of the grocery industry is so swallowed up by the big players, Safeway, Kroger, Super Value, right. that, you know, getting into all the regionals with franchise too painful. So, Kind of like Coinstar, Coinstar owns all of their kiosks centrally and, and puts them out. That's that's the model that we work on. Right. You started this in 2007. You had the idea, or the idea began to brew in 2003, and so you're you're into it a fair amount of years now. What have been some of the largest frustrations that you've experienced along the way? Well, we already went over just trying to sell into grocery stores. I would say that's the latest frustration that we got over. Um, yeah. You know, prototyping is a long process. You think you have the right solution so many times. Yeah. And we went into it thinking, let's just do it right the first time and get it out there. Um, but you just can't do it. You put it together and you say, yes, this is this is the final solution. We are gonna we are gonna move forward with this 
exact design. And then a month later, what we found out, what we really found out is customers are absolutely great at breaking things. Yes. And in ways that you would never expect them to. We, there's a great example. The, the second customer we ever had at a kiosk. Now, when we put out our first kiosk, we built this prototype that was good enough yeah. to put out and actually get some use on. We, we really didn't have any clue if anybody was going to use it when yeah. we put the first one out. So we were sitting there. We were babying it. We sat there and we watched customers for, for weeks, it seemed like. And uh, the second customer that ever used it, there's a touch screen on our kiosk. So when you're done, you, you press a, a virtual button on the screen to stop the timer and, and do the final charge. And I don't know if she was nervous about using it or what, but she started machine gun hitting the virtual button just as fast as she possibly could. Well, the interface, the, the first thing it does when you hit that button is take a timestamp, and then it goes through the rest of the procedure. Well, she basically kept re-getting a timestamp, so it looked like the timer was still going. But... She wasn't giving it enough time to just stop and go through the process it was trying to get through. So we run back to my partner's house and massive coding and, and, and re, re-engineering and run back to the store and upload a new program so that it will, so that, that can't happen anymore. Um, the rapid stop button fix. Yeah, exactly. And you just find so many things like that. Um, there's an emergency stop button on the machine, just a physical stop button in case something happens. Nothing has ever happened. We don't ever think it will. But we kept having people calling and saying that your shredder won't start when I swipe my credit card. And what we found out was people were putting their box on, there's a table built into our kiosk, people were putting their box and basically leaning it up against the emergency stop button. (laughs) So we had to go back to our manufacturer and have them quickly build uh, basically a a little ledge to, to make the stop button recessed. Or, or, or to make sure that whatever so could, you're putting up there wasn't hitting it. As soon as we put that on, we've never had that problem again. You oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. See, you just find all these little things that, yeah. that, that, that happen. you gotta, you got to quickly figure out a fix for. Yeah. In one way, it's frustrating. In another way, it, it's, it's kind of fun when you find the solution and you, you run back out there to fix it. But uh, like you said, we're, we're at the point now where our machine is pretty, pretty wrapped up. We've got a, a good handle on, on what the final production model would look like yeah so if you could go back to 2007 when you started this with all you know now what would you tell yourself Uh, it's funny i was thinking about this the other day uh in in today's market for raising capital it it seems like it's easier to raise capital before you've made any money um (laughs) it's kind of like uh facebook buying the the photo snapping right. thing that makes no money for $9 billion because yeah. um, you can just put any number on it you want. Right. It might have been easier to just go at it and try to get tons of money right up front, but I don't think I could have uh, ethically made myself do it. Mm. Um, but no, I, I, think, I, think we've done, I think we've done a pretty good job getting, getting from there to here. And, you know, some of, some of the things we've done, if I could go back and say some of the things we fix, we look back and say, boy, that was kind of dumb what we did to begin with. Why did we ever do that? But I, I try not to look back too much. You know, hindsight is not, uh, yeah. uh, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda doesn't really help me today. Right. It sounds like you, you kind of are, are on that path that some people call the ready, fire, aim approach, which is you, <laughs> you kind of know where you're going and you start firing because that's rapid prototyping, isn't it? That's that's what 
I mean, a lot of software is developed on that whole model is get it out there. And once it's out there, then you can really evolve it as the results and the response comes in. Yeah. Uh, when we did that, when we first started, we were definitely on that path. It, and like I said before, we, we had no clue if anybody was going to use it. So yeah. we, we really needed to get something out there to, to just gauge the interest and gauge, figure out how people used it, figure out how long people use it, how yeah. much they're shredding. We got more information in the first month of the kiosk being in a store than we did the previous two years put together. Wow. There's really, there's really nothing to be done about that other than just doing it. The problem is when you're doing a, unlike building a website where you can just put up anything, you're not going to hurt somebody, <laughs> putting, putting an industrial-powered shredder inside of a grocery store, you kind of have to make sure that it's not going to hurt somebody. Yeah, yeah you've, got, you've got a few more things in play there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it took us, you know, from the, from the time we had an initial design to the kiosk being manufactured in the grocery store, um, a kiosk design anyway. It was about 10 months. Wow. Well, what a cool story. I wondered as I was was thinking about this and hearing your story, I wonder what's worse, being stuck in a submarine knowing that you're you're having to get off or being an entrepreneur. You know, I didn't mind being on the submarine that much. <laughs> no, it's that point of being pushed off the submarine in Pearl Harbor when you've got to go home because you've got a a uh, an issue with your personal information being out there. Uh, that's got to be a hard place to be. It's, it must have been kind of a weird situation for you. But I, I also realized, based on just hearing your story, that being an entrepreneur in its own way is probably a little bit, uh, has a little bit of its own terror attached to it. Yeah, um, my wife works in business consulting, and she was working on this project where she was trying to get this big company to build an entrepreneurial wing of their company. And she was asking me, what is it like to be an entrepreneur? And I said, uh, being an entrepreneur is like finding the scariest thing you can think of, but being able to justify it and going out and doing it anyway. Yeah. It, that, that's really what I've looked at it as. You, know, you got to, I feel like people who try to be entrepreneurs and then just do it on their spare time, it's almost impossible to succeed. You just got to go for it. Yeah. You got to, you got to jump off the cliff and scream like crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure. This has been so interesting. It's been uh, great to hear your story, and uh, I, I really do appreciate the time you've taken to tell us about uh, ShredStop and, and your story and where you've come from and also where you're going. Continued success. Great luck. We're going to keep watching and uh, love to see how this thing completely unfolds in the future. Great. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, there you have it, another interesting show. I love finding interesting and cool things happening in our industry, and today was no different. Special thanks to Stephen Hirschman for taking the time he did to talk to us about his pretty cool technology. If you have something you're doing, or if you're aware of something cool happening and somebody else doing something in our industry that makes you go, wow, that's cool, I'd love to hear from you. I wanted to remind you that this show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. Sometimes when you're considering a software product, you, you got to be aware that it's more than just the software itself. You have to consider the support you get on the software. You have to think about what happens when stuff goes wrong. 
do you have somebody there you can talk to to help support you through it? The other thing I think you have to really think about these days is about the development investment required to keep making the product better to make sure it works with the ever-evolving operating systems out there. So those two issues are important and you need to ask your software vendor about those two issues because they do matter a lot. For the record, I know that my friends at O'Neill Software look after those two really well. And you can learn more about O'Neill by visiting them at O'NeillSoft.com. Well, that's it for now. Have yourself a great week. We are out of here. We'll be back with a great show next week. See ya. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the RIM Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.